This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. And that's what is represented. The man does not expect his servants to be idle during this time when he's gone and do nothing during the time he's gone. He expects his servants to work and work hard while he's gone, and not just work hard on anything, but to work hard specifically on his interests. And that teaches us that Christ does not expect us to do nothing for him while he's gone. He expects us to work and work hard on his interests. And so we're told in verse 14, verse 14, that he delivered unto them his goods, those goods that the man put in charge, the people were put in charge of. Just as Christ has committed to us his church and the evangelization of the world that will build his church up. Just like it says in, in uh, Acts 20, 28, Acts 20, 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Christ has left his church on earth for us to take care of to encourage believers and to help to build them up and to add to his church through evangelizing. That's what evangelization of the lost is all about. It's all about building up his church and these are represented in this parable by what he calls his goods in verse 14. He delivered unto them, verse 14, he delivered unto them his goods. Now the church of the servants of Christ, they belong to Christ because Christ paid for it. It was very costly when it says his own servants, his talents he was giving. In 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18 says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed or bought with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Without redeemed or purchased with the precious blood of Christ. There's nothing more costly to Christ than his own blood. And that's what he used to pay for the church, his own blood. So it means that Christ is intensely interested in what happens to the church. He bought it with his own blood, very valuable. He used his own blood to buy us. We are purchased with the blood of Christ. And we're also purchased with the blood of Christ, buys for us forgiveness from our sins. Ephesians 1.7, Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And 
He not only used his blood to buy us, he not only used his blood to obtain our, our forgiveness from our sins, he also used his blood to clean us from our sins. 1 John 1, 7, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us, but of Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. So with his blood, with his blood, he used his blood to buy us or redeem us. He used his blood to obtain our forgiveness from our sins. He used his blood to cleanse us. So no wonder with so much that Christ has invested in us that he is intensely jealous over anything that would draw us away from him, entice us to sin, and defile us. He's jealous because he paid for our souls. He paid for our forgiveness. He paid for our cleansing with his own blood. So when the parable says that the man delivered unto his own service his goods, that means Christ has delivered to us the keeping and the building up of his church. Now we see this man in this parable distribute essentially money to these people in verse 14 and 15. He goes, he says, he called his servants, delivered his goods, one to one, he gives five talents, another two, another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway, straightway took his journey. So what we see this man doing here is giving to his own all that they will need to make money, make more money. I'm glad that I spent my life in business because this helps me understand what, what's going on here. Now, by the way, there's no mention of the servants, what they brought to the table. There's no, there's no mention of that. All the focus is what the man has given to his servants, and that shows us that we, everything we have has come from Christ. Everything that we have comes from Christ. There's only one thing that we have in life that we can call our very own, just one thing. That one thing that we can call in life that we did not get from Christ, that we can call our very own is our own sin. Our own sin comes 100% from us. That's it. Everything else is a gift from Christ. So just as the man gave talents to each one of his servants, we've received from Christ all that we need to do the will of God. We receive from God his Bible that teaches us about God's truths, about God's laws, about God's promises, about God's powers, and reveals to us the will of God in our lives. We, he, has, he has provided to us, as we said, the Holy Spirit so that not on our own, when we open up the Bible and we find the will of God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit working in us. He's provided the Holy Spirit to be our friend, the wonderful Holy Spirit, to help us, as we mentioned, giving us the desire and the power to do the will of God. So at verse 14, when it says that he calls his own service and delivers them to him as goods, then there comes this testing time when he's gone. And that's a time, then there comes a time of accountability when he returns. And that's the point of this parable. This parable is all about accountability, accountability. You know, I have a friend who lives in uh, Loretto, and he makes fantastic videos in Loretto, fantastic. And I'm always interested, and about every week he sends people, including me, uh, the new video that he made, and, and the photography and the sound is, if you go on our website, trmarinatours.com, 
You'll see many of his videos. Fantastic. And recently, he made a video, they have part of an organization called KLM, Keep, Keep Loretto Magical, you know. And anyways, there's a video about keeping Loretto free of pollution in order to keep Loretto magical. And in his video, he starts off talking about animals and man. And he says in the video, every school child is taught that man came to this earth 10 million years ago. And that animals were on the earth 800 million years ago. So in other words, animals come first, you know. And boy, I was driving that hard. And I thought to myself, why is he pushing this dogma so strongly with the statement that every school child is taught that man came to the earth 10 million years ago. I mean, we had three sons, we had three school children, and we didn't teach them that. We taught them that man came to this earth less than 10,000 years ago when man, when God would created him. So why does he, why does the world push this scenario, this dogma of evolution, so strongly with statements that every school child is taught and that the theory of evolution is no, really no longer a theory, it's a fact. And that's so critical for the world to, why do they push this so strongly that man's here on earth 10 million years ago and the animals are here 200 million years ago and then over those 200 million years, slow, random, incremental changes resulted in the animals that 10 million years ago Boom, we've got man, what do you know? What does it matter? What does it matter to the world that they have to push so hard on this dogma? Well, the answer to that question is this parable, this parable of the talents, because if evolution is true, then there is removed from man two essential points that are in this parable. The first point that's in this parable is seen in the servant's that the man calls, the servants come to the man with nothing, they don't bring anything, and they're given everything. They're given everything, which is the man's goods or his talents to trade with, they're given a job, they're given instructions, and in the end, if they're faithful, they're given rewards. Everything is coming from this man. It shows the point, man needs to be thankful. He needs a point of who he's gonna be thankful to. And the first thing that a man, the first thing that all men have is really the need to be thankful. In this case, the servants have the need to be thankful to the man who's giving them everything before he travels away. And the second thing in this pointed out in this parable is that man needs to live his life under the sense of accountability. Those faithful servants, they knew that they were accountable for what they were gonna do. And man really has a need to live his life knowing that he's gonna give a report. He's gonna give an account for his life. Everybody needs that. And this is what evolution surgically removes from man. Thankfulness and accountability. Why? Because if evolution is true, we have no one to be thankful to. If evolution is true, who are we gonna give thanks for? Origin, for our present, and for our future. If evolution is true, then we're gonna think, then who are we gonna give thanks to? Random chances? If evolution is true, then we're left with the prayer of, I thank the old great random chances for giving me the strength and the opportunity to succeed in life and make money. That's our prayer. If evolution is true, who are we accountable to? 
for what we've been given in life, our origin. Billions of years? If evolution is true, then we're left with the prayer of, I come to thee, O great billions of years, to give an account of what I've done with my life that you've given me. That's nonsense. If evolution is true, then thankfulness and accountability is removed from man, and man, man sinks into the state of evolution darkness. Romans 1.20, Romans 1.20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even God's eternal power and Godhead, and they're without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorify him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. That's the darkness of evolution. Now we see here in verse 14 that the man is about to go on a long trip. This is verse 14 is before the trip. And you and I have all gone on a trip. We've all gone on a trip and we've all done what we need to do before we leave. We go over everything that needs to be done when we're gone. And we make sure that we've got everything covered, everything's taken care of. You know, did I ask the neighbors to put the trash cans out on trash day and to bring the trash in? Check. Did I suspend the mail service so that my mailbox is not gonna overflow? Check. Did I put the cars in the garage? Check. Did I throw out the milk and all the leftovers that are in the refrigerator so it doesn't stink and spoil? Check. And on and on the list goes to make sure that, that we're away, everything is covered, everything's all right, and whatever you wanna be done when you're away is gonna be done, you've taken care of it all. That's what we see this man doing here in verse 14 before he goes out on this trip. This man, he's made a list of instructions and he's going through this list one by one with each of his three trusty servants, one by one. He's giving to each one of them specific tasks to do while he's gone in verse 14. Verse 14, he called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. He's given to each one of his servants specific instructions of what they're to do while he's gone. How fascinating. How fascinating for us to see that Jesus Christ has described himself to us as this man who's giving his instructions to his servants before he goes on a long trip. That's fascinating. That means that we are the servants in this parable and that Jesus Christ has given to each one of us specific instructions for this time right now when Jesus Christ is away on his long trip, long trip to heaven. And we are expected during this time of his absence to do what he has instructed us to do. We have that responsibility, that's on us. This reminds me of the Scanabody's compound in Ethiopia, which is located about two and a half hours south of the capital, Addis Ababa, in, in Ethiopia. Now, we came to our compound 15 years ago when it was nothing but just 12 acres of, bare, of land. And then over some years, we built, there is built on there, God be the glory, a, really a beautiful compound. Oh, it's so beautiful. Half a mile long of straight as an Iowa cornfield, a concrete wall, nine foot tall, one foot thick, solid concrete, razor wire on the top, on each of the corners, four guard towers with 12-foot catwalks both ways, 
guards supplied with AK-47s and four bullets. It's like Barney Fife. We have a large incinerator for the mouse bedding, 30-foot-tall stack to get rid of the smoke. Beautiful, large vehicle garage there for repair and maintenance of the vehicles. Very tall feed storage barn and inventory for the mice. We have a mice vivarium there that can hold one million mice with automatic watering systems, a high-velocity ventilation fans because those mice can stink. And they're all kept in thick uh, uh, concrete mixing tubs made for us in Israel. We had a whole container brought over. We have a laboratory. We have a building with bathrooms and showers for our staff. People don't have showers in their mud huts. We have a generator room, a well, a water tower that's 25 feet tall. that holds 20,000 liters of fresh water up there. His power goes out. We have gravity feed. We have a field for seasonal vegetable crops that we, we sell. We have 1,400 mango, avocado, tangerine, orange, and apple trees. It's beautiful. There's a dorm for 100 men there. There's a 400-seat multimedia auditorium there. There's inside and outside dining facilities, both a Western and a traditional Ethiopian kitchens. There's a three-bedroom furnished Western-style apartment. There's very nice Western-style hotel guest rooms that we copied from the hotel in Nairobi, across from the Israeli embassy, actually run by a Holocaust survivor. Beautiful. He helped us with the design, the materials, sources, all that stuff. Central laundry room for Western people, kitchen, central kitchen, and dining hall for Western people. Altogether, there's accommodations there for 36 U.S. guests on site. We sent over 10 large containers with all the beds and the lighting and the furniture. Very nice, very nice Ethiopian-style building called a tiku, which has three peaks on it. And it's made, you never see anything like this, made 100% from bamboo stocks woven together like a basket. (laughs) Not one piece of concrete in there, it's just amazing. And inside for the managers, there's a conference room and then there's a coffee roasting ceremony room. And the coffee is very big in Ethiopia. I don't know if you knew this, but coffee was discovered in Ethiopia in a place called Kaffa. We have lush gardens outside with water fountains, birds everywhere. It's just beautiful. And the entrance is with two 12-foot-tall metal gates on the paved road. It's a large operation that requires a lot of maintenance, a lot of upkeep for operation. It's really the nicest facility uh, down there in our 95% Muslim-controlled area of 3 million people. Well, we used to go there about once every three months, sometimes once every two months, spend a, a week there, U.S. people from Scandabodies. But three years ago, Ethiopia fell into a state of violent tribal warfare where the Catholic church and the convent and the school 16 miles away was burned to the ground, leaving the nuns with nothing but the clothes on their back. And the U.S. State Department told U.S. citizens to leave the country if they were not in the capital. And we were forced to leave our compound and not return. Just like this man, we had a list of what our staff was to do in our absence. We reduced our staff down from about 250 to 45 just to maintain. And our specific instructions to our management staff, our three-person management staff, 
Vesica, who was in charge, Bakela, and Abraham. We told them exactly what the staff was to do while we were gone, what they were to do. And we told them that we'd be coming back and that we didn't know when, but that what we expected them to do in our absence. That was three years ago. There's still genocide violence going on in Ethiopia. You don't hear about it because they shut off the phones, the internet, and no news people are allowed to go into cities where they just machine gun people, tribal warfare. And we know that we're going to return, but we do not know when we're going to return. And our staff has been told that, that we will return. It may be in a year. It may be in 10 years. It may be in 20 years. We don't know. We just don't know. But we promised them that we're going to return one day and we're going to do a careful inspection of what was done while we were away. In the meantime, we are able to transfer money to them during our absence so that they can continue in their operations. We have not shut it down. We have not shut it down. And it's been already, as I mentioned, three years. That's the scene that we see here in this parable. This man in verse 14 is telling his staff he's leaving for a long time and he's not telling them when he's going to return. He just says he's going to return. In the meantime, he's given careful instructions to them because he's saying, when I come back, there's going to be a careful inspection of what you've done when I was away. And he does not leave it up to his servants to do whatever they think they should do in his absence. He gives them specific instructions of what they are to do when he's gone, and he's going to hold each person accountable for that task. That's the point. Jesus Christ is making this point that Jesus Christ has left. He's gone on a long trip. He has not told us when he's going to return. He's promised that he will return, and it's going to be in a time when we do not think he's going to return. It's going to be a surprise to us, but he's told us uh, he's going to give a careful inspection when he comes back. We don't know when we're going to return to Ethiopia. We didn't tell. We cannot tell. When, but we did not tell our staff, we don't know when we'll return to Ethiopia or if we'll return to Ethiopia. We didn't do that. We did not tell our staff, we don't know when or even if. We told we are going to return. Before we left, our Scanabodies U.S. staff was in Ethiopia. As I mentioned, we were there every three months for a week. But now let's consider different scenarios of what our staff in Ethiopia might think and might do. The first scenario to consider is the one that we totally expect is where our staff says it's been three years since Scanabody's U.S. staff has been forced out of the country when they left. They gave us clear instructions of what to do. They will come back, might be in a week, might be longer, but we know that when they come back, we're going to be able to show them how we were faithful and we did a good job. And they would say, I'm living my life as if they're going to return tomorrow. I'm preparing my work so that I can gladly come to them with, behold, look at this, what I've done in your absence. That's what we want. That's the case we expect. That's going to be a happy time when we come back. That's like a believer in Christ who says to himself, it's been a long time since Jesus Christ has left this earth, but I have my clear instructions from the Holy Spirit through the Bible of what I am to do with my life, and he expects me every day to do this, and I know he's coming back, and although I don't know when he's going to return, I'm dedicating my life. 
I'm using my life every day to serve him, and I'm making a list of what I'm doing and what I have done so that when he comes back, I can gladly say to them, let me show you Jesus. And I'm doing that as if he's coming back next week. Now, what will it be like when we return to Ethiopia and we find those faithful staff like that? It'll be very good, very good. This first scenario is for the faithful Scantabody's Ethiopian employee. And the question is, is that me? Is that you? Are we living our lives like with that expectation that Jesus Christ is gonna come back next week and I'm gonna make sure I'm ready to give a good account of what I've done during his absence? Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.